This is The Resident Review, a plastic surgery podcast. This is a platform designed for education of plastics, hand, and craniofacial surgery trainees from medical student to master surgeon. Our episodes take you through high-yield topics along with experts in the field in order to maximize your knowledge and refine your techniques. If you like what you hear today, please be sure to visit our website, theresidentreview.com, for episodes, outlines, resources, and more. Stay tuned after the episode for a brief message from our sponsors. Welcome back to the resident review with Tori and Rosie. (laughs) Um, This is part of our quick hit series and we are covering uh, various topics on the plastic surgery in service exam with some dense, but high yield information. All right. Let's start off with some anatomy and embryology. So we'll talk about the sinuses and sutures. Frontal sinus appears at six years of age. Um, normal suture fusion happens in the following sequence. So the metopic suture at six to eight months, the sagittal suture at 22 years, the coronal suture at 24 years, and the lambdoidal suture at 26 years, which means that mine just fused. Oh my God. Um, and the squamosal <laughs> at 35. So something to look forward to for all of us. <laughs> Um, TGF beta plays a role in the fusion of posterior and frontal sutures, also beta FGF. We'll talk a lot about FGF later in the episode. Get ready. Um, and then the fontanelles, the anterior fontanelle closes at 24 months and the posterior fontanelle closes at two months. All right. Let's go into synostosis. Yes. All right. So, um, we will talk about first about sagittal synostosis. This causes scaphocephaly and dolecocephaly. It is an increased AP diameter of the skull with decreased parietal width and frontal bossing. Surgically, you can do a sagittal strip, which can correct mild forms, but more severe forms require cranial vault remodeling with barrel staving. Strip suturectomies, it can include an endoscopic suturectomy and orthotic molding that can be done at two to four months old or a spring, which can be done at six to nine months old. Moving on to metopic synostosis, this causes trigonocephaly or a keel-shaped or a triangular head, um, characterized by bitemporal narrowing, hypotelarism, and sometimes an ICP elevation from 4 to 10% of individuals. It is most commonly associated with abnormalities of the corpus callosum and developmental delay. You treat this with a frontal orbital advancement. A metopic ridge, FYI, is a normal variant because this suture usually closes at one year. So if there's an asymptomatic ridge present in a child, younger than one year, you can just observe it. Moving on to unilateral coronal synostosis, this causes frontal flattening and contralateral bossing. Um, A harlequin deformity is a lack of descent of the greater wing of the sphenoid, and it is also associated with FGF. The child will have a recessed superorbital lateral and inferior rim, and the chin will point to the contralateral side because of the anterior displaced glenoid fossa. It may also have strabismus and paresis of the superior oblique muscle. The fontanelle will be displaced away from the affected side. The nasal root will be displaced towards the affected side. And if this is non-syndromic, it can cause posterior positioning of the ear on the affected side as well. Treatment is a frontal orbital advancement. For bilateral coronal synostosis, this causes brachycephaly or a broad flat forehead with recession of the superorbital ridges and, and bulging of the forehead. It can be called tricephaly. Um, and have excessive skull height if this is not treated. So this is also associated with FGFR2 and 3. 
Lambdoid stenosis is characterized by its lateral occipital flattening and a mastoid bulge, as well as contralateral protuberance of the forehead, and they'll have a larger cranial fossa on the uh, unaffected side. It can be associated with increased ICP, and the ipsilateral ear for lambdoid stenosis can be posteriorly positioned, and this causes a trapezoid head shape. Treatment is posterior vault expansion and remodeling. Um, deformational plagiocephaly is often mistaken for cranial stenosis, but the nasal root is midline. The cheek is displaced posteriorly and the chin may be deviated toward the affected side. So you'll have flattening of the occiput and anterior displacement of the ipsilateral ear. And the skull looks like a parallelogram. You, for this, this is treated with repositioning exercises or possibly a helmet. It may be associated with prematurity, intrauterine positioning, congenital muscular torticollis, pleural births, or motor delays. Oxycephaly is Pansynostosis. This causes a pointed head and a forehead retroverted and tilted back. The Klebach shuttle or cloverly skull is secondary to synostosis of all sutures except for the squamosal. This can result in a high ICP with a moth-eaten skull appearance. And um, just a little bit of information since we're talking about some of these treatments, which include um, vault remodeling. When we're talking about scalp and calvarial reconstruction, the general method is the autogenous split calvarial bone graft using parietal bone. Can also use a split rib graft. Alloplastic materials used in scalp and calvarial reconstruction can include methyl methacrylate. Um, this is usually used for adults and can have an exothermic reaction. So you need to cool it with saline. Hydroxyaptite calcium phosphate, which requires mixing in water, PTFE or cortex, which is biologically inert. Um, autologous bone is most appropriate, like I said, for craniplasty within a child. And now we move on to craniosynostosis or syndromes with craniosynostosis. All right. Um, we are going to go through the many, many syndromes and their many associations. So bear with us. Um, the first we're going to talk about is Apert syndrome. This is caused by a mutation in FGFR2. It's a gain of function mutation and it is autosomal dominant. Um, the problems associated with this syndrome include bicoronal craniosynostosis, mid-face hypoplasia, complex syndactyly of the hands and feet, vertebral fusion. In 30%, there's an overt or submucous cleft, and they may also have ICP elevation. Moving on, the next one is Cruzon syndrome. This is also a mutation in FGFR2. The problems associated with this syndrome are... Um, bicoronal craniosynostosis and brachycephaly, shallow orbits um, that can have proptosis or exorbitism, mid-face hypoplasia and conductive hearing loss, as well as a parrot beak nose or a high crowded dental arch. If you can think of a toucan, <laughs> a beak and a high crowded dental arch. Uh -huh. I also think of Cruzon, and Rosie loves this, as <laughs> <laughs> not involving anything like any of the limbs. So there are no limb defects. And so I think of a crouton, just a little square. So everything is focused on the face, and <laughs> not the limbs. And if that works for you, great. <laughs> it doesn't, it works for me. Yeah. Um, the next one is Pfeiffer or Jackson Weiss syndrome. This is a mutation from of either FGFR1 or FGFR2. It is also associated with bicoronal craniosynostosis. It has maxillary hypoplasia associated with it, but in a variable fashion. It has can be associated with turibrachycephaly or Klebach-Shuttle syndrome, um, broad thumbs, uh, great toes, and by that I mean broad <laughs> thumbs <laughs> or broad 
first toes, <laughs> not that their toes are particularly great, but the great toe itself can be broad. Um, in general, they have a mild, if any, syndactyly. They are associated, this syndrome is associated with developmental delay and radiohumeral synostosis or a frozen elbow, which I feel like comes up pretty commonly when they want to test this syndrome on the test. Munky syndrome is like monkey. Monkey. I don't know. M-U-E-N-K-E. Submit your contribution. (laughs) We think that's pronounced. Um, Associated with FGFR3 mutations in an autosomal dominant fashion. It is also associated with bicoronal craniosynostosis, but is associated with megalencephaly um, without craniosynostosis if bicoronal craniosynostosis is not present. It also has mid-face hypoplasia, ocular hypertelarism, carpal or tarsal fusions. Um, so they can have normal hands and feet, or they can have thumb-like middle phalanges, which is a very interesting thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Can be associated with neurosensorial hearing loss, strabismus, and developmental delay. There's Carpenter syndrome or acrophallosyndactyly. Acrocephalosyndactyly. Okay. That was better than what I came up with, but we'll go go with yours. Carpenter syndrome. Mutation of RAB23 in an autosomal recessive fashion. It is associated with multi-suture craniosynostosis, like sagittal and lambdoid, developmental delay, ocular hyper or hypotelarism, shallow orbits, proptosis, corneal abnormalities, cardiac defects, hypoplastic ears, a flat nose, a high arch palate, preaxial polysyndactyly, aka short or duplicated or stuck together fingers or digits, symbrachydactyly hypogenitalism, and an umbilical hernia. So the vet begs the question, what isn't it associated? <laughs> okay, um, I think of carpenter syndrome because they can have polysyndactyly, so all their fingers stuck together. And like, if they're a carpenter, they're using their hands as hammers or like mallets because they're all stuck there. So, so there you go. I have no methods to remember the rest of these things. Next up, we have safe chosen syndrome or acrocephalus. Cephalosyndactyly 3. This is a mutation in the twist gene. It's associated with bicoronal craniosynostosis, um, brachycephaly, facial asymmetry, strabismus, eyelid ptosis, and a low frontal hairline, um, and can be associated with the malformed ear, uh, some partial syndactyly as well. Antley Bixler syndrome is associated with an FGFR2 mutation in autosomal recessive fashion. It is also associated with, you guessed it, craniosynostosis, coanal atresia, and radiohumeral synostosis. Klebot shuttle is associated with a mutation um, usually related to Pfeiffer syndrome, um, so a mutation in FGFR, FGF2. It is associated with pancraniosynostosis, and as Rosie mentioned, a moth hole skull or a trilobed skull. McCune Albright. Um, is a mutation in the GNAS gene. It has problems with or is associated with fibrous dysplasia, precocious puberty, cafe au lait spots, and bone pain. And it can be treated in some ways with pemadronate, which I believe is um, for bone growth. 
um, neurofibromatosis. We were often tested on, on all of our many board exams. Um, it's a mutation in the NF1 gene. It's associated with facial asymmetry, cafe au lait spots, which is its classic association, sphenoid wing aplasia, which did not show up on step one, um, pulsatile exophthalmos, freckling of the armpits and groin, optic nerve tumors, and tibial bowing. And then there's a less than 15% chance, but a chance of developing malignant peripheral sheath tumors. And those are uh, symptomatic with rapid growth and pain. And that indicates a need for biopsy. Craniofrontal nasal dysplasia is associated with a mutation, the EFNB1E gene. I got no, no way to remember that. X-linked dominant um, associated with craniosynostosis, hypertelorbidism, nasal bifid deformity or a broad nasal bridge, frizzy hair, low hairline, and agenesis of the corpus callosum. Um, Greg cephalopolysyndactyly is associated with a mutation in possibly crani chromosome seven or 13. And I don't really know what we're supposed to, mm. how we're supposed to memorize that if it might be, but it is autosomal dominant. It is associated with a high forehead, frontal bossing, macrocephaly, broad nasal root, postaxial polydactyly and syndactyly. And that my friends are all the craniosynostosis syndromes I have to tell you about. Wow. But wait, there are more syndromes. <laughs> Don't worry. There are more syndromes. <laughs> uh, thank you, Tori, for braving that. Okay. Um, moving on to maxillary or mandibular deformities, syndromes associated with these. All right. So pure event sequence, the mutation is a growth disturbance of the mandible and these patients will have microgenia, glossoptosis and upper airway obstruction. They may also have a U-shaped cleft palate. So treatment for glossoptosis or mandibular hypoplasia, con most conservative would be proning or taping. If there's only glossoptosis, you can do a tongue lip adhesion and then move on. If that doesn't work to a mandibular distraction, and then next is treacher Collins or mandibular facial dystosis. Mutation is in TCOF1, so Treacher Collins TC, TCOF1. Um, you can also have PLOR1C or PLOR1D uh, gene mutations. Problems there will be a bilateral zygomatic and malar hypoplasia, microgenia, external ear, and lower eyelid abnormalities, downward sloping palpebral fissures, an absence of the lateral orbital wall, lower eyelid colobomas. TMJ ankylosis and cleft palate. This is associated with the cleft, Tessier cleft six through eight, sometimes VPI as well. These patients may require treatment for maxillary or mandibular hypoplasia for airway management. And sometimes they have absent uh, mandibular condyles and you will have to rib graft those. Acrofacial dystosis, the mutation is in chromosome nine, which is a recessive trait. And they will have radial hand deformities or radial ulnar synostosis mandibular, malar, or maxillary hypoplasia, a high nasal bridge, a long filtrum, cleft palate with VPI, class two malocclusion, and short stature. Stickler or hereditary arthroophthalmopathy. Made it through that one. This is on the Pierre Roban spectrum. And the mutation is in COL genes. So COL2A1, COL11A1. Et cetera. If you just see COL, think that there's a mutation in the collagen. So the problems are in collagen type two. This affects the eyes, craniofacial skeleton, ears, and joints. They can have cataracts, retinal detachment, micronathia, 
mid-phase hypoplasia, malar depression, bifid, uvula with submucous cleft, and sensory neural hearing loss. Vanderwood syndrome's mutation in IRF6. Problems can include lower lip pits, facial clefting, syndactyly, thumb hyperplasia, synathia, and IGFR6 can also be associated with non-syndromic clefting. And these people with um, the IGFR6 mutation may have popliteal pterygium, which is like an excess skin fold behind your knee. Moving on to popliteal pterygium syndrome. This is an um, autosomal dominant IRF6 mutation. This has popliteal webbing, toe, toe webs, cleft lip and palate, lip pits, and webs of the mouth and eyelids. May also have hypoplasia of the labia majora of scrotum and cryptorchidism. Moving on to velocardiofacial syndrome, also to George or charge. Mutation is in 22Q11 gene, and this is a dominant mutation. You've diagnosed via fish. Problems can include hypocalcemia, colobomas, heart defects like aberrant carotid arteries, coronal atresia, growth retardation, genitourinary abnormalities, ear abnormalities, or deafness, um, face anomaly with broad nasal dorsum and flattened midface, PPI, um, clefts, and thymic hypoplasia, including diminished T cell production. So, you need for uh, velocardiofacial or DeGeorge syndrome, you need to get immunology and cardiology on board early. Binder syndrome is associated with nasal maxillary spine hypoplasia. This creates a short, flat nose. The anterior nasal spine is absent. You'll have a short columella, an acute nasolabial angle, convex upper lip, class three malocclusion, malar or perialer flatness, like a, people call it a dish face, and maxillary hypoplasia. Mobius syndrome is a defect in the first and second branchial arches. Problems include bilateral congenital abducens and cranial nerve palsies. So this creates strabismus. They may also have club feet or syndactyly or rudimentary fingers and toes. They'll have cardiac defects, clefts, retrogenia, and mycostomia. Perry-Romberg syndrome is also called linear scleroderma or cutis stab. I know it's a sword, sword slice in French though. I don't speak French, apologies. Um, or progressive hemifacial atrophy. So this usually starts between five and 15 years old and um, the process lasts around two to 10 years. It involves skin, um, sometimes the eye, soft tissue, muscle and bone in a trigeminal nerve distribution, but it does not affect sensation, may be associated with epilepsy and they may have a cutaneous vertical furrow. Treatment for peri-Romberg includes autologous fat transfers for mild to moderate cases, um, free flap surgery and moderate to severe once it is stable, although they do have a high risk of hematoma at around 7%. You can also treat it with methotrexate or steroids. And if there is eye involvement, you'll need to talk to ophthalmology. Next up is golden har or hemifacial microsomia or ocular or regular vertebral spectrum. The mutation is a faulty neural crest cell migration, and it can also be associated with intrauterine occlusion of the stapedial artery. Problems, so you will see an asymmetric midface, microtia, a low hairline, colobomas, BPI or cleft, heavy bulbar dermoids, and ear pits. They'll have renal abnormalities, vertebral abnormalities, and cranial nerve palsies, as well as cardiac abnormalities. Hemifacial microsomia patients may also have malformations of the mandibular ramus and facial paralysis. They may have incomplete development of the ear, maxilla, temporal bone, parotid, tongue, palate, or pharynx. Branchial otorenal syndrome is a mutation of the EYA1 or 
six one it's like six one dominant mutations they will have auricular malformations deafness preauricular skin pits small ears branchial fistula and renal abnormalities but there will be no facial asymmetry Beckwith Weedman is a mutation of chromosome 11. They will have macro, macrosomia, macroglossia, omphalocele, and ear folds. Kabuki syndrome causes lower lid extropion, long palpebral fissures, a broad nasal tip, protruding ears, and microcephaly. Gorlin syndrome is also associated with basal cell nevoids. This is a mutation in PTCH1, and they will have basal cell carcinomas, kyphoscoliosis, keratocystic odontogenic tumors, hand pits, and possibly medulloblastomas. We're going to talk about other congenital growths and sequences, aka more syndromes, <laughs> call them syndromes to make it sound better. Um, but in all seriousness, um, these are some other congenital growths that we'll walk you guys through. So the first is capel field dermites, dermoids. These are fusion of the cervical spine with varying involvement of the thoracic and lumbar spine. It's associated with a low posterior hairline, hearing loss, and cerebral palsy. Clapeltronet syndrome, um, actually I took care of a patient with this this week, um, is associated with a port wine stain, varicose veins, and bony and soft tissue hypertrophy of an extremity. Um, it can be associated with vascular malformations as well. Albright syndrome, um, this is associated with changes to calcium and phosphate metabolism, as well as adenylate cyclase. It is associated with a low nasal bridge and a short neck. Ectodermal dysplasia, this is uh, associated with a mutation in an X-linked recessive way, and it is associated with hypoplastic skin and sparse dermal appendages. Orbitofacial dermoid cysts, these are found in the brow, the orbit, or the nasoglobellar region. They are brown and no, they're not brown. That means the brow and orbit. <laughs> <laughs> We're fine here. <clears throat> they are found in the brow, orbit, or nasoglobellar region. The brow and the orbit usually do not have intracranial extension, but the nasoglobellar lesions do need MRI to rule out intracranial extension. An encephalocele is a neural tube defect that results in a sac-like protrusion of the meninges at cranial sutures. It looks like a soft compressible mass that transilluminates and enlarges with increased ICP, aka when babies cry and create more pressure. In the US, the most common location is occipital, and in Asia, the most common location is frontoethmoidal. Angiofibromas, these are known as juvenile nasopharyngeal angiofibroma. They present it in adolescent males with unilateral or bilateral nasal obstruction, frequent epistaxis, or blood-tinged nasal discharge. Diabetic fetopathy. Um, this is the associations of babies with moms who are diabetic, and this is associated with macrosomia, nephromegaly, and hepatomegaly. FACE, or P-H-A-C-E syndrome, is posterior fossa, hemangioma, arterial, cardiac, and eye anomalies. Um, so if you have a baby with that association of some syndromic findings, then you need to get an MRA of the brain to assess for arterial defects. Charge syndrome often comes up. Um, this is coloboma of the eye, heart defects, atresia of the nasal cholina, retardation of growth and development, GI issues um, or malformations, ear uh, deafness, 
and can also be associated with orofacial clefts and is associated with the deletion of CHD7 in terms of gene findings. Bacterial common syndrome as well. This is vertebral, anal, cardiac, TE, renal, and limb, um, TE being tracheoesophageal anomalies. Amazing. All right, Rosie, let's wow. go to clefts. On to clefts, onward, onward. We've, we've made it through quite a lot of syndromes and I'm for one sick of talking about them. So let's talk about clefts. All right, moving on to Tessier clefts. This is a lot easier if you pull up a picture um, of the clefts. It's just easier to follow them step-by-step. So do a little Googling right now if you need to, or find us on the web and we'll have pictures. Um, so clefts zero to seven occur on the lower half of the face and nine through 14 uh, extend to the upper hemisphere. These range from failure of merging of the various prominences in the developing face. So failure of the maxillary and medial nasal processes can result in a cleft flip. Failure of the frontal nasal and maxillary pro processes can result in Tessier clefts two, three, and four. And failure of fusion of the lateral and maxillary nasal processes results in proboscis lateralis, which is a rudimentary nasal structure that forms off of midline. Going through these specific clefts, so they are classified into paramedian, oro-nasal-ocular, and lateral clefts. Paramedian clefts are zero, one, and two. Zero can have deficient or excess tissue, like a bifid nose, frenulum, hypertelorism. Um, deficiency may have an absent premaxilla, with a secondary cleft palate and an absence of nasal bones. Cleft 14 is a continuation of this and includes contact between the dura and ectoderm through the firm and cecum. Cleft one is a cleft lip and palate. Cleft two has a hypoplastic ala and is rare. Moving on to the oral nasal ocular clefts. These are clefts three, four, and five. Cleft three is very common and it extends into the alar base with a superiorly displaced nose which is foreshortened, it can affect the lacrimal system and, and include blockage of the lacrimal system, colobomas, globe malpositioning, and uh, direct communication of the oral nasal and orbit, orbital cavities. You can have a displaced medial canthus and the inferior medial orbit is absent. And you can have a transverse extension through lateral incisor, and this extends up through the canine and extends from the floor of the nose, through the nasal lacrimal system and into the orbital floor. So again, cleft three involves the medial canthus. That's probably the most important thing to remember, the trajectory. Cleft four involves the lip in the orbit. The nose is uninvolved. So it tracks medial to the infraorbital nerve, um, begins at the filtral column and courses laterally along the alar margin and can affect the medial lid and disrupts the nasal lacrimal duct as well, resulting in epiphoria. So just remember that this one does not involve the nose and is medial to the infraorbital nerve. Cleft five involves the um, involves the mouth and the cheek, including the maxillary sinus, and it continues on into an orbital cleft. This is rare, and this lies lateral to the infraorbital nerve. Moving on to lateral clefts, so cleft six moves into the lower lateral orbit and can have colobomas. Cleft seven is also called hemifacial microsomia. This is the most common of all clefts, more common in males. And like we said earlier in our syndromes talk, um, is usually associated with a disruption of the stapedial artery. And you have a, an affected zygoma, maxilla, and mandible. And you may also have um, facial paresis. So 
So this becomes at the oral, this begins at the oral commissure and can look like macrostomia. It extends towards the ear and runs through the maxillary second molar and stops at the masseter. It can look like a skin tag or a microtic ear as well. Um, they may also have an open bite and it may involve the orbit and it likely results from the mandibular and maxillary processes not fusing. Cleft eight always involves the orbit. It is also rare, can be associated with colobomas and zygomatic hypoplasia. Um, this is associated with golden heart syndrome and typically also with other syndromes. Cleft nine involves encephalocele. This is rare and it involves the lateral third of the lid and brow. Um, you may have a hypoplastic sphenoid and this can be an extension of cleft five. Those wow. are all of the clefts we're going to cover today. We did clefts. We did craniosynostosis. Now we're going to talk a little bit about a smattering of OMFS topics <laughs> that show up on the test, including the craniofacial section. So first we're going to briefly review occlusions. Type one occlusion is maxillary and mandibular first molars align. Type two, mal type two malocclusion is an overbite. Type three malocclusion is an underbite. There are obviously official definitions for this, but we're just going through the basics so you can re remember them. Um, the long face syndrome, that's right. We're not, we're not yet done with syndromes, um, is vertical maxillary hyperplasia with class one malocclusion. It involves a decreased SNA, which is the, um, association between the cella, the nasal and the alveolus and a decreased SNB, which is the association between the cella, the nasal and the buccal. Um, the treatment for long face syndrome is a Lafort one osteotomy with superior repositioning of the maxilla combined with genioplasty. In general, this is characterized by excessive length of the lower third of the face. So lip incompetence, interlabial gap, and excessive maxillary incisor show. Normal maxillary incisor show is two to three millimeters. You can do also a sagittal split with mandibular osteotomy in conjunction. And the descending palatine artery is the most likely injured vessel in a Lafort osteotomy as an additional pearl for the test. Maxillary retrusion. So this is maxillary hypoplasia with shortening and lower vertical height, class three malocclusion, a decreased SNA and an increased SNB. Vertical maxillary deficiency. This includes angled class two malocclusion, shortening of the lower third of the face, and then also a decreased SNA and SNB. This is treated with the Lafort one. Distraction osteogenesis. This is osteotomy and then application of the distraction, a latency period, and then the activation phase, meaning the actual use of the device. Then you pursue a consolidation phase, AKA waiting for it to solidify before you take out the distraction device. This is preferred over bone grafting if you wanna do advancement for greater than 10 millimeters and basically works um, such that collagen fibers organize parallel to the vector of distraction for a little physics pearl. Um, you must have condyles for mandibular distraction or a bilateral split sagittal osteotomy. Without that, you may use costochondral grafts um, for like respiratory compromise, i.e. intreacher colon syndrome. And then just some miscellaneous facts, um, talking about teeth anatomy, because that's the most relevant thing we can be tested on. The papilla of the parotid duct is the most commonly is most commonly located adjacent to the second molar as it empties secretions via Stenson's duct. Bet you didn't know that. Um, the TMJ you can evaluate by placing a either finger inside of the EAC and feeling clicking when open or close, closing the mouth, um, and that's caused by subluxation of the articular disc. 
you can pursue conservative management first. Um, you can do adjustment of the bite with splints. Uh, you can treat with NSAIDs and do PT and then surgical treatment if all else fails. And then masseter hypertrophy is idiopathic and you can treat it with Botox as first line treatment. And that is finally the end. We that did it. Painful. That, that was rough. Really off. It, I was that. it was a team effort. It was a team effort. <laughs> I would say we have fast facts, but we don't because there was just so much. There's that too, everything was a fast fact. Everything was a fast fact because we summarized so much of craniofacial. But by all uh, means, listen through this now, listen to it again, listen to it before the test, read through <laughs> our notes, look at the pictures of the clefts, come up with whatever way you can. And please tell us your um, tricks to remembering things because certainly we need them. Okay, well, check us out for our next episode too. Thanks yeah. for listening. Thanks, guys. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.